Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Oh, welcome back to Spiro Avenue. Justin Spiro here. Solo tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Two-topic show, and I'm going to get right into it. The Detroit Lions will lead off. Going to get a little bit into the Urban Meyer stuff with Michigan State. Believe me, it is an ongoing story, and we're going to be with it the whole way. The Detroit Lions thing, you know, I I got into a little bit of a a Twitter scuffle with some folks, and it was on the Detroit Lions side with my opinion shared today on, on Twitter or X or whatever it may be called these days. So, Ben, show me on the screen here what I said that had people in a bit of a tizzy about the Detroit Lions. I, I say it's there's reports that the Vikings and Broncos are selling off pieces. We've all heard the Raiders, Max Crosby rumors, which seem bogus, but whatever. The Lions have to be active. Ben Johnson is gone next year. The extensions for young guys are looming. And I could argue this year is their best shot at winning the Super Bowl. I Somehow that got misread. So here's a couple examples. Mike Lubin. This is the first really good team the Lions have had in forever, and you think this is their best shot at a Super Bowl? That's crazy. Another response goes from Mojo Jojo, the highly credible individual. You could argue that, and you'd be wrong. Ben Johnson leaving sucks, but are you saying Campbell can't hire someone who's as good or better of a play caller to say this year is the best year is asinine? Okay, so I think people misunderstand saying that this is the Detroit Lions' best opportunity to cash in on a Super Bowl title does not mean this is the entirety of their window. This doesn't mean that it's this year or bust, the whole thing goes out the window. The reason I would argue, and I thought it was very clear, the reason chiefly I would argue that the Detroit Lions have a uniquely good, strong, their best position to win the Super Bowl chance here is tied directly to two components. The salaries of their youngest and best players will never be cheaper than they are right now. And that includes the rookie class, uh, Penny Sewell from a couple years ago, Hutchinson last year. These guys only get more expensive as we go on. So their best players are cheap right now. That's number one. Number two, Ben Johnson is a virtual lock to be out of here. And it was a shock to many that Ben Johnson is even still here now. This is a guy who interviewed in Houston with the Texans. This is a guy who interviewed in Indianapolis with the Colts. Ben Johnson was scheduled to interview with the Carolina Panthers. Many people thought he was going to get that job over Frank Reich had he gone on the interview. He looked at these jobs. Ben Johnson pulled out of these searches. They didn't tell him, though. He told them, no. He canceled his interview in Carolina pulled out of the search in Indianapolis and Houston. I don't know for a fact, but I I think it's a pretty good chance he gets one of those jobs and probably Carolina. I don't think think the Houston job was ever going to go in a different direction. Certainly not to Ben Johnson that they like D'Amico. But I, I, I honestly, I think this is a guy that should probably already be gone. Thank God he's not. And I think he's sitting there waiting for a better opportunity. I think he sensed that Carolina was probably the best bet for him to actually receive an offer. And that's not what he wanted. And there's going to be 
a number of jobs opening up. There are five jobs that opened up this past year. The year before, there were nine. So in the last two years, 14 out of 32 jobs have turned over. There's going to be another, history tells us, five to 10 openings this year. A lot of people are looking at that Chargers job. It'd be fun to live in Southern California and have Justin Herbert as your quarterback. So I think he's gone. And that's not doomsday. And in a weird way, you kind of want him to be gone just because that means he did a good job. The only way Ben Johnson, ben Johnson is still here, if he's even remotely sane, is if the offense does a complete backwards turn and the Lions fall flat on their face. I would be stunned if that happened. Even if the Lions disappointed us in the second half, I don't think it's going to be Ben Johnson's fault. I don't think it's going to be the offense failing. I mean, they went into a game last week with like eight of their best 12 offensive personnel either out or severely dinged up, and they were still moving the ball at will. So, I, I, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. So you have to look at what Ben Johnson is here. And I've discussed this in the past. We all like him. This guy is the most respected, up-and-coming, sort of sub-40 coordinator, non-head coach in the game right now, arguably. That's the reputation if you go into the national media. We know. We, we know. I know if you're a Lions fan, you like the guy. You should like him. He's awesome. He also was a North Carolina grad, so shout-out to the Tar Heels. The national media likes this guy maybe even more than the Detroit does, and the league circles like this guy even more than the Detroit Lions fans do. This guy is a wunderkind, savant, up-and-coming guy. He's gone. And you should be flattered that he's gone. It means things are going well here, and they have, and I think they, they'll continue to do that. Peter King, right before the season, talked about the buzz with Johnson and his respect among his peers in the league and his, the perception around him. So let's, let's play that Peter King clip, which rings true today just like it did a few weeks ago. America doesn't know this, Ben Johnson, but I'm telling you, the offensive coordinator of the Lions, mm -hmm. he'll be a head coach in the NFL, I don't know when, sometime. He is really, really smart. It's like he fell off the uh, the Sean McVay tree, uh, even though he didn't. And and I, just, I think he's really bright, and you're going to hear a lot about him, and I think he's been a godsend for Jared Goff. He saved Jared Goff's career, or helped save Jared Goff's career. I mean, I'm the biggest Jared Goff fan in the world and will apologize for him and don't want to give anybody credit for anything that he does because I'm such a, a big Goff guy. And even I could admit, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, Goff was sort of a wayward son for two years, his final two years in LA, and his first eight games with Anthony Lynn as his offensive coordinator here were a mess. They were a mess with the win-loss results in Detroit for sure, but it's just statistically. So you basically had a two-and-a-half-year run where, no, he wasn't terrible. He wasn't the worst quarterback in the league, but he was a, a bottom-10 guy statistically for two-and-a-half years. Coming from the biggest golf in the world, he was like the 23rd-best quarterback for like about two, two-and-a-half years. There was always more in there, and we knew it. Golf's a guy that needs good coaching. Some guys, Mahomes, he has a great coach in Andy Reid. That's why they keep winning titles. But if Mahomes didn't have a great coach, he would still be effective. Goff is very good. Goff's my guy. I think Goff's a legit top 10 quarterback. He's not in that rear group of two or three guys that can do it irrespective of what's around him, talent-wise, on the sideline, et cetera. Ben Johnson matters. Before Ben Johnson took a partial 
take over the offense in a shared role with Dan Campbell in 21, this team was 0-8. Their offense got better instantly, and there's some debate over how much, you know, apparently Campbell was doing most of the work in 21 in the back half. Ben Johnson was sort of learning on the job or had some input. But 2022, keys were his. And look at the effect that Ben Johnson had and look at what could happen if he leaves. We've seen this before. Ben, throw that up for us. So Ben Johnson is installed as the offensive coordinator full-time, his gig, in 2022. The Lions' offense under Anthony Lynn in that abysmal eight-game run, 16.75 points a game. They rank 30th. The offense under Ben Johnson since 28.2, fourth in the league. Now. I know points per game are not the best metric or measure, but I think this is just a simplified way. Pick your pick your uh, stat. DVOA doesn't matter. They're consistent across the board. They were abysmal with Anthony Lynn. They have been great under Ben Johnson. And look at the other side of this graphic. I give you the cautionary tales here. And these are just a couple of many examples out there that we've seen in the modern era. But the Falcons, the team that famously blew the 28-3 to lead, 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl to New England, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for that team. 33.8 points a game. That's by far the most. That's the most, I think, in the last like five years. The second he left, did Matt Ryan repeat his MVP? Nope. They plummeted from first by a mile to middle of the pack, more than a double-digit drop to 22.1. Overnight, Julio Jones was still there. Head coach was the same. Quarterback was there, the reigning MVP. They got 50% worse because their coordinator left. Josh McDaniels, hey, I think he's kind of a, a nincompoop as a head coach. The hell of a hell of a coordinator. Look at the Patriots offense with Josh McDaniels in his second stint, his two-year run in New England as the OC. 27.2 points a game, sixth in the NFL. And Mac Jones made the Pro Bowl as a rookie under Josh McDaniels. Since he left to coach the Raiders, 18.9, 24th in the league. Mac Jones has been benched twice in the last five games. So you can see we've had multiple examples. The Lions immediately got significantly better the second Ben Johnson took over. It was overnight. We've seen Kyle Shanahan leave Atlanta. They went from the best offense in years Middle of the pack, 50% worse. Mac Jones, Pro Bowl as a rookie. Offense is top five to seven in the league by any metric. McDaniels is gone. They're averaging 11 points per game this year. I mean, it's a five-game sample size. But the Patriots have 55 points in 11, or, uh, 55 points in five games. It's 11 a game. So we've seen what can happen when Ben Johnson and good coordinators leave. And if you are making the very fair assumption, and you know, I know Lions fans don't want to hear it, and I am a Lions fan, but you guys don't want to hear this, the perception is that he is gone. And most people in the league agree with me that they're surprised he's still here. They're, they're glad. They kind of want to see this thing through. But he is gone. He's gone. And I think the sooner we accept that, the better. So with that said, is that not a great argument for them being all in? I just made the two points. This collection of young talent will never be cheaper than it is right now. This is as cheap as they'll get. Price only goes up, and people are talking about a golf extension now. That's going to go up if you do that. 
And I would argue the Ben Johnson thing's even more important. The coordinator matters. We've seen it Atlanta, New England. We've seen it here with this exact guy. We saw what it looked like five seconds before he showed up and five seconds after. And you want to say, oh, we'll just find the next Ben Johnson. How many Ben Johnsons are there? Even the, the one they found, I, I'm sorry. I guess I'll give Dan Campbell credit for retaining him. Ben Johnson was a Matt Patricia hire. He was a, a quality control guy, making sure the tape was cut properly when he first got here and eventually ascended to the prestigious role of tight ends coach. I mean, th this guy kind of fell into the lap. He was already on the staff, and Dan Campbell said, no, no, you're good. Give me Anthony Lynn, who was so bad, you got the rare like in-season demotion. Like They didn't even fire him. <laughs> it's just like they were too... They, were, they felt too bad to just let him go. They like kept him around, but he didn't do anything. I, I mean, do you want to bank on replacing finding another Ben Johnson? Even if you find a pretty good coordinator, are you going to be Ben Johnson? So, no, it doesn't mean that once Ben Johnson is gone, which I can almost guarantee happens, that the Lions window is closed. It doesn't mean that. I think they, their core is young and will still be relatively cheap for another couple of years. It'll get more expensive, but still on a relative basis, you're still going to have Branch on the rookie deal, Laporte on the rookie deal. We'll see if Gibbs is such, uh, such a good thing, but Hutchinson will still be on his rookie deal. I'm just saying it's going to get a little bit harder on that end, and it's going to get a lot harder to replace Ben Johnson. And people can minimize it all they want, but there's not that many Ben Johnsons. And we saw what this looked like without him and what it looked like with him. And those were stacked right on top of each other and had an immediate contrast. So you can't even say, oh, the variables were so different. Who knows? Chicken and egg, correlation, causation, all that. So you can't even play that. Like, we know he's why. We know he's why. We saw what Anthony Lynn was doing with the playbook. We saw what Ben Johnson did and how dramatically different everything about their, that offense looked overnight. So, yeah, I do think this is their best chance, and that is the argument. Well, this is not a negative thing. Everybody has to have, at some point, their best chance. I mean, in theory, obviously, we're speculating, we're guessing. But, I mean, the Chiefs, in the next five years, one of those years is their, is their best chance, you could argue. But it's not a negative to say this is their best chance. I don't even get that. If anything, it's more positive. I think, I, I think we're closer than a lot of Lions fans I still think Dan Campbell is going to do something stupid on the big stage in, the, in a playoff game, and I hope I'm wrong. But the roster's cheap. It's good. You have a, an A-plus-plus offensive coordinator. This is the argument to go all in. And it doesn't mean you trade all your picks in the future. We know what the NFL trade deadline looks like. There are solid, good pieces traded for third, fourth, fifth, sixth-round picks. There's really, really good pieces traded for second-round picks every year. I, the NFL trade market has never made sense. I mean, Randy Moss for a fourth-round pick when he was still in his prime, like, what the fuck was that? So I want the Lions, for once, to be in this. They did it one time with Bob Quinn when they got Snacks Harrison for, was it a third-round pick or whatever? No, it didn't last long, but the guy was one of the best interior linemen for a year and a half. It lights out second half of that season after the Lions acquired him. He was, he was like first or second best interior defensive lineman, according to the PFF in the league. 
against the run. So I want to be involved in this. Bill Barnwell from ESPN had an interesting hypothetical trade. was laying out the, the case for the Lions diving into these pools. I love what he came up with here. So this is Bill Barnwell's trade proposal. The Lions trading with the Vikings, which we just saw last year with Hawkinson, acquiring edge Danielle Hunter and a fifth-round pick next year for James Houston, second-round pick next year, and a conditional third-round pick in 2025 if Hunter ends up re-signing in Detroit because Hunter is an expiring contract. So you're only guaranteeing that you get him for just over half a season if you make this trade right now. Well worth it for this team and a second-round pick, in my opinion. But this is Barnwell. He says the Lions should go for it, right? At 4-1, and one, they're well ahead of the NFC North, just a game back of the 49ers and the Eagles at the top of the conference. Hutchinson's playing like a defensive player of the year contender. And this is the key point. But no other Lions defender has more than two sacks. The pass rush, eh, eh. They're 5-0 and oh if they have anything at all against that mass unit Seahawks offensive line. Now, they've made good. They've been better. But, I mean, I'm sorry. Hutchinson needs a little more help here. And as Barnwell continues, Hunter is probably the best player with a realistic chance of being traded. The 28-year-old standout has six sacks and a league-high nine tackles for loss through five games. But you're talking about a guy who, and nothing fluky about this guy. He's got a 14-and-a-half sack season, a 13-sack season. I mean, Hunter's legit. I mean, that, He's one of the best pass rushers in the league. What ails the Lions the most? I mean, probably the cornerback, the secondary, if you could pick one thing to improve. Absent of that, I need a, I need a uh, edge rusher across from Aiden. And Hunter, to lost season for Minnesota, is one of the top linemen in the league. Uh, he's going to put up another 14, 15 sack season this year. He's pressuring the quarterback every third play. I mean, he's, he's a menace. Uh, that's the guy I would, I would make that trade for in a second. And the Vikings, seems like they're going to trade him. Barnwell seems to sniff it out. That's what I want them to do. So these people saying, you're telling me you're going to mortgage the whole future. No, there's, there's moves like that where second round pick, conditional third if this guy signs, which I'll take that problem. I mean, if I re-sign one of the, one of the best pass rushers in the league, take the third round pick. But let's just say he, he walks. I'm getting, I'm four and one. I have the best team I've had in years. And I'm adding one of the best defensive players in the whole league in a position that I really need to get better at. I, this is such a no-brainer. I mean, you can't go into the first-round pick territory, and it wouldn't take one because of the expiring nature of the contract. It wouldn't take one anyway. But a second, I'm dancing with Barnwell on that. and It doesn't have to be him. Lions fans had a lot of fun with the Crosby stuff, and Raiders fans were very mad at me today, yelling at me about, uh, there's no truth to that rumor. I, do you, do you guys know what a, the definition of a rumor is? I, I didn't say there was. But the bottom line is there are going to be good pieces moved at this deadline. There always are, sometimes better than others. You know, Sometimes you see like a Jalen Ramsey go, sometimes you don't. But there's going to be guys moved that matter, that will flip a game or two even, potentially. The Lions are good, man. And I, I think this is their best shot. Not their only shot. Not championship or bust because it's all going to fizzle out. This isn't like a 
you know, the last dance, MJ in 98. Young core, cheap core, good core, very highly resonant head coach. They're going to have a little run here. I just think this is their best chance because I've seen this team. I've seen this coaching staff without that coordinator. I've seen this quarterback whom I love. I've seen this quarterback without that coordinator. And not a small sample size. I've, I've seen Jared Goff for two and a half years pre-Ben Johnson. Eh. And then you could potentially compound that by paying Goff. Which I, wa- I actually want to extend Goff. I'm, I'm, I'm pro-Goff, but be careful. I wouldn't want to do the thing where, okay, the next decent quarterback that comes up sets the, the record for the most. Ex- I wouldn't do that, like the most expensive contract thing. I wouldn't do it with Goff. I wouldn't. I, I, like Stafford had that day where he was the top paid guy. I was cool with that. I love Goff. I, I'm not saying hometown discount. I don't want him making more than Mahomes for five seconds if Ben Johnson's gone. If you're telling me Ben Johnson's here, I'll give Goff whatever he wants because I'm getting a top five guy. So I think the Lions should go all in. I like this team. You know, I got a lot of shit people saying, oh, you know, two weeks ago you were saying six, seven wins. It was, first of all, it was three weeks ago to be fair. And they were one and one. And I got to tell you, 99% of the topics in the world, I will fully embrace dunks on me, dunks on anyone that agrees with me. The Lions thing, like dunking on someone for a Lions cynicism. I don't know, man. I've tried to show some decent level of grace with you guys the, the 30 years I've been right. I don't like being right about the Lions. I'm still not wrong about anything I said. I, I just, I, I think you got to give some Lions cynics a little grace. Like if you can't be a cynic or, or skeptical about the Detroit Lions, if, if you're not allowed to be somewhat on your guard with the Detroit Lions, especially after that Seattle loss, just take the word cynicism out of the dictionary, get it out of the discourse. It doesn't belong in our lexicon as a concept. So I do think the Lions are better than I thought they, they could be. And I, they've proven that. They're going to have to continue to prove it, though. I mean, we've, I've seen in my lifetime Lions teams that were 6-2. and two. People were really high on them. You know, we've seen Jim Caldwell. What was he, like 7-3 and three and lost the last six games of the year, whatever that was? I mean, we, we've, seen, we've seen things turn when nobody saw it coming. And I think this team has more legitimacy than those teams. I thought those teams were a little bit more I smell a rat fraudulent, but I'm not celebrating yet, but I do think they have a chance. The division sucks. That really helps. Never apologize for that. We've been a big contributor to these other teams winning this division easily by being a doormat for years. So thank you for laying down for us for a change. It's a good team. I mean, you have, you have the last couple of weeks, I mean, top 10 offense and defense by DVOA. Go all in. It's not an insult to say this is your best chance. It's not disqualifying or dismissive of the rest of their, their time here under Dan Campbell. Ben Johnson is going to be gone. Ben Johnson is out of here after this year. Bank on it. That, that's, a, that's basically a fact. It's going to be a big loss. So let's cash the chips in now. Go call up Minnesota. Go do what you got to do to get someone across from Hutchinson. He needs the help. He deserves the help. This defense would be that much better. Imagine a not just solid upgrade on that D-line into the pass rush, 
an elite, I mean, a high, high end edge, one of the best in the league. Imagine this defense with that. Hutchinson on the other side. Better be careful with those double teams on Hutch. Can't double both of them. Otherwise, someone's coming in completely clean. So that's the move to make. I go for a pass rusher. If a cornerback presents himself fine, you get a receiver for cheap, fine. I wouldn't mess with Claypool. The guy's nuts. I want to pivot to Michigan State. The Urban Meyer thing. So Graham Couch, friend of mine, smart guy, really just been killing it with his column really the past year. But the Tucker stuff, he had the great scoop before the year with Tucker. The coaching search column he wrote is one of the best columns of the last five, six years in the Michigan State space anyway. So Graham Couch talking about the Urban Meyer situation and effectively reports what, not to brag, but we reported before anybody. So this is Graham Couch in the LSJ, quote, MSU's top donors want Urban Meyer, Matt Ishbia wants Meyer. And thus, you've seen the Meyer propaganda push from those with major donor ties, a push which has infiltrated the fan base at large. Let's face it. I mean, 40% of what he's talking about at the end there, that paragraph is, is me and, and Odell Bradham. And that's, we embrace that. But Couch has basically loosely confirmed last week that he had heard Urban Meyer was in fact in town, as Bernie Fratto had reported as I believe was true from my own extraordinary vetting of Bernie. Four people insisted there's, this guy is dead nuts on. He wouldn't say it unless he knew for a fact. So I bought the Bernie Fratto report. Couch kind of piggybacked it last week, and uh, he kind of couched it, no pun intended. But he basically said, I can't journalistically confirm it, but yeah, I heard he was there. Now, Couch has effectively confirmed what I reported even before the Bernie Fratto thing. My whole like Urban Meyer to Michigan State thing started before the Fratto report. And I had said before this in a couple different instances of spaces, I think I said it on the actual show, Michigan State's donors, the money people up there, want this to happen. And not just they prefer Urban Meyer, they're curious about Urban Meyer, they'd like to get an audience with Urban Meyer, Hey, Alan, what do you think about Urban Meyer? No. The donors want Urban Meyer. Like, want him. That's their guy. We told you that almost two weeks ago. We also told you Alan Haller, ah, doesn't seem super into it. Alan Haller does not seem super into the idea. Now, I don't feel confident enough from my discussions on that component of it to say, Alan Howard's putting his foot down. Alan Howard refuses to play ball. Alan Howard is not going to engage the Urban Meyer discussion. I would be lying to you if I said that with any authority. He's not enthused about it is what I'm hearing. It, it's not his preference. And this does create an interesting question at Michigan State. Who is making this call? Because if I had to just point to one person and just say who's the most important person to win over in this process, it's, it's Alan Howard. It is him. It should be him. If, you're, if you don't trust him to make this decision, he shouldn't be there. No AD should be. So that's granted. I'll give you, like, on the power rankings, Alan Howard is number one. But he's not the only one. He's not the only one that matters. and. What happens 
if the big money people, which Graham Couch has confirmed what I've, what I've been telling you for two weeks. The money guys want, I mean, he said it, that there's nothing ambiguous about that. The, the big money guys want Urban Meyer. What happens if there's a conflict there? Because I got to tell you, from what I'm hearing, Ishbia, St. Andre, the big, in sort of the step below, but still big donors that are into the high six figures in some cases, they ain't going to tolerate Jason Candle. They've made that very clear from what I've been told. And in one case, actually, was party to the conversation. They ain't going to play with that. So, no, they don't have any codified official position at Michigan State. This is a weird, weird time to alienate the donors. It is a bank. The program was bad last year. It's down again this year. The momentum is gone. They just, one of these donors whom I like and have defended in this whole thing, Steve St. Andre, I think quite defensively pulled the collective for the football team. I mean, he doesn't know if these guys are going to transfer tomorrow. They want to pay out. People, people don't understand. If he pays out these guys and they leave, that's money not going to actual Spartans. So whatever. I digress. Hey, this is not a time to alienate. You need these guys more than ever. Your momentum is down. If anything, you want to be more welcoming and open. But at the same time, I would defend Alan Heller. I'm not a figurehead. I gotta, it's got to be my call, right? Like if I'm him. So I don't know what's going to happen. But I think it's fascinating because I don't know for sure what Howard's thinking. What I can gather is Alan Howard wants to run this coaching search kind of by the book, you know, kind of search firm type deal, vet the candidates, talk to you know, 12 people or whatever he ends up boiling it down to. He kind of said that even in his statement that you know, they're going through the process and they're going to talk to numerous candidates. And some people will be talked to just as advisors on their former staffers, whatever. Like, I believe him when that's what he said. That seems to be, from my conversations, what he's doing. He's kind of going, I don't, have, I don't have a guy that I want to go get. It's not like when the Lions hired Steve Mariucci or Michigan targeted Jim Harbaugh. Michigan didn't have some like, job search when they hired Harbaugh. They knew who they wanted and they coalesced. And they pulled it off when a lot of people rolled their eyes at the idea. It seems so obvious and easy now. At the time, the national media was mocking people like Greg Henson, who, who nailed it. You know, so I, that's, this is not a case for Alan Howard of he's got his guy, I'm going to go get my guy. I think he is coming in with, here's 25 people I might like. I'm going to call a couple people, get that list down to 10. And then I'm going to pare it down to six to eight and then start having these conversations. That's what it seems like to me. And that's what the people around him seem to think and how this is going. The donors aren't like that. The donors got their guy. They know who they want. There's no, there's no, hey, what's Candle got to say? What's Elko got to say? These guys might all be awesome coaches. Huff, Marshall, these guys might all be home run hires. Nobody thought D'Antoni would work out this well. I mean, so it's not to dismiss them. I'm just telling you the reality of what's going on here. The people that are funding so much of this stuff, the people that paid half the freight on Mel Tucker's extension when he looked like he was going to LSU or at least certainly going to interview with them, they got their guy. This search was never a search, from my understanding. 
And people that watch this show know where I stand. The donors are right on this. Urban Meyer has an argument for being the greatest coach in the history of college football. He has an argument. If I had to pick, I'd pick Nick Saban because Nick Saban doesn't take a break every five years. He's won the title more times. But Urban Meyer's never failed in college. And whether you call Saban a failure in East Lansing, I think that would certainly be harsh. He wasn't a resounding success. They were a little bit above 500. They were finished ranked once in five years. I mean, you know, and then he left immediately. He didn't even finish that year. He wasn't Urban Meyer at Utah good. He wasn't Urban Meyer at Bowling Green good. Look at the, look at the perspective on how good Urban Meyer is. I, it's like we've forgotten what we're talking about. The winning percentage historically. Head coaches, Division One, minimum 100 games coach. Urban Meyer is the second best winning percentage of all time behind Newt Rockney. Newt Rockney, who stopped coaching in like the 1920s, maybe early 30s. Newt Rockney was playing against teams with that Notre Dame team that these schools don't even exist anymore, literally. And the ones that do are little private music schools. I mean, he's playing like Carnegie Mellon. So if I take out Newt Rockney and his nine built-in wins against community colleges out of there, Urban Meyer is the best coach in the history of college football. He's the best. And it's really not even close. He's got a couple points on Barry Switzer and Osborne and Field and Yost. Now we're going into Ann Arbor from 100, over 100 years ago. Better than Dabo. Clearly better than Saban. You are talking about the best coach since the Great Depression. It's not that close. And you want to talk about, oh, Urban Meyer, he just kind of goes where he strikes while the iron's hot. That's not true. That's not been the case with them. Ben threw up the four college stops for Urban Meyer. He's been in four school, he'd been at four schools, started at Bowling Green, six straight losing seasons before he got there, 18 games under 500. It wasn't like they were going five and seven. They were three and nine, two and 10. They were terrible. Meyer in two years goes 17 and six. Jumps to Utah. Meyer to mediocrity, three straight years, 500 ball, 17 and 17 record across those three seasons. Meyer gets there 10 and 2, 12 and 0, 22 and 2. Overnight. Florida. Oh, yeah, they're, they're a great job. Florida was down for a few years. Their momentum was gone. Ron Zook went 23 and 15 in the three years prior with zero bowl wins. It was the most high. 23 and 15 is not good to begin with. It was a very hollow 23-15. Terrible record against all the good teams they played. There were five losses a year for three years under Ron Zook. Meyer gets there, 65-15, and 15, two national titles. They were great overnight. Ohio State is the best case for OK, and he inherited a good situation. This is the best example. They were coming off all their wins being vacated, severe NCAA sanctions, major reductions in scholarships, fundraising ability. They were hampered by sort of blue blood football standards. OSU loses five conference games under Luke Fickle in the 2011 season. Meyer gets there overnight. They go 12-0 and in year one. They lose, he loses four conference games in seven years. Luke Fickle lost five in 2011. In seven years, Urban Meyer lost four. And of course, the national title. You are talking about Michael Jordan, 
Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux. Take your pick. LeBron James for the kids out there. That's who we're talking about on the coaching level. You're talking about a guy that you, you could be the biggest Urban Meyer detractor, third best coach ever, fifth best coach ever, if you're being a cynical ass. I mean, I think he's probably the best or second best. I put him a hair behind Saban just because of the five-year breaks every, every time we look up. It's, it's like he's never in one place for more than a few years, and then he's taking a break. But man, those couple years, two to seven years that he's in a place, seven was the longest, I think, at Ohio State. Better than anybody since Newt Rockney was beaten up on, on the Little Sisters of the Poor. You go get the guy. And I, I'm not trying to win any morality things here, but the bottom line is, and this is how I keep phrasing it, imagine you're an employer and you're bringing in a prospective employee and they have four references on their resume. And everything looks good on the piece of paper, all their accomplishments and the targets they reached and the milestones they hit and the growth and all that, that all checks out. But each of those four jobs, those stops along this person's career path has a name for their direct supervisor and or the CEO of their company. And you call all four and all four of them say, that's the best run we've ever had. I would take him back in a second. I would run that entire experience back, his entire period of employment. If I could get that promised up front right now, please, please, may I have it. Four for four. And that's what all four would say. Go find the Bowling Green fan or administrator from that era that rues the day that I hired Urban Meyer. Or Utah, Florida, or Ohio State. So can I argue... If all four, four for four of your employers not only don't regret that you were there, but would kill to have you back, would kill to have those results replicated by somebody else, if not the prior coach. Couldn't I argue that by definition, the baggage was worth it? Because if the baggage isn't worth it, if the juice isn't worth the squeeze, that's not what their response would be if you called them and asked them. Do you guys know any fans of any of those four programs that look back at the Urban Meyer days, like Michigan State fans look at the John L. days or Bobby Williams days? Does anybody look back at the Urban Meyer era at any of his four stops and say, oh, fuck, don't remind me? No. It's, in fact, quite the opposite. All four of them would kill to have that run back. They would kill to have the two years at Bowling Green, the two years at Utah, the, I think, six years at Florida, and seven years at Ohio State. Those results, sign me up right now. They would beg for that. And they should. Because he showed up in four places that were a lot worse without him. There was no rebuild, guys. 12-0 and in year one at Ohio State. 10-2 and and then 12-0 and his first two years at Utah. Florida, significantly better overnight by year two. They're winning the national title. This happens instantly with this guy. And you want to talk about NIL. This, you know what? The game is a lot different from the Bowling Green era to the Ohio State era. You're telling me the game didn't change from 2002 to 2017? 
a million changes, transfer rules, the nature of the kids, uh, the kids' expectations, what's needed to keep up with the Joneses. There have been multitude of fundamental changes in the game already in this guy's career. I don't get it. You know, if you want to make like a moral argument, that's fine. I'm not really interested in that because no sanctions at his schools. He's never been arrested for anything. I'm not saying he's a great guy. But I think we're acting like he's a little bit worse than he is. That I, I got to tell you. I, I just I, I think some of you are exaggerating a little bit. Not saying he's a good guy. We're, we're talking about this guy like he's a, a six-time felon, and we're, we're dragging him from the prison cell onto the sideline at Spartan Stadium. I just, I'm sorry. You guys don't like the pro-Urban Meyer thing. That's fine. That's your right. I don't care who someone else wants. But let's take it easy on the, the, the pearl clutching and the Helen Lovejoy stuff. Like, yes, there's some problems there. No sanctions, zero vacated wins, four employers, very, very happy he was there. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I will say this. This whole dismissal of the idea that Urban Meyer could come here, want to come here, I absolutely believe what Bernie Fratto reported, and from my own digging, it sounds true, that Urban Meyer was there. Discussing the job with Michigan State. I'm not going to confirm the report. That's Bernie's report. I believe it to be true for my conversations. Graham Couch seems to agree. Graham Couch confirmed what I reported even before Bernie's name was involved in this. The donors want Urban Meyer. So I don't want to hear from anybody that Urban Meyer can't happen or, oh, what are you talking about? This is a pipe dream. You know, people are saying that I've, I've lost my mind. or Like, these Michigan State fans have lost their mind. The guy was there meeting with Michigan State. And the Michigan State core has multiple billionaires several times over that don't just kind of like the guy that are saying, go get him. You go get Urban Meyer. We need that guy. So if the guy is sitting... And he's Lansing meeting with Michigan State about the vacancy. And there's multiple billionaires several times over who have a history of funding this exact contract, the head coaching football contract at Michigan State. And they're saying, Urban Meyer, go get his ass here now. Don't tell me it's not possible or that it's stupid to talk about. Because it's not. If you want to disbelieve that he was there, okay, now you're going against Bernie, me. And what Graham Couch heard. And even if you want to throw that out, even if you don't believe that, I'm telling you that I, I know because I've been in one of the conversations. The big money people want Urban Meyer and they're pushing for Urban Meyer. And Graham Couch told you explicitly the money people want Urban Meyer. So even if you don't believe that he was there, which he was, don't tell me that's nothing to. Chew on. And we all know the real reason, right? We know the real reason. There's really, there's two. You're scared of them. You know what? I would be too. I, I hated when he came to the Big Ten. He came to the Big Ten right when Michigan State was on the doorstep of winning the Big Ten. He presented a problem I didn't want. We beat him twice. I was scared of Urban Meyer when he came into the Big Ten. Nothing wrong with, I mean, come on. Bravado is the best coach ever or second. I don't blame you. I'm not calling you a chicken shit. I was scared when he was in the conference on the other side. 
You should be scared of him. He's really good. And the second thing is it goes back to Michigan State's not allowed to have nice things. Like, how dare you even think that you might get a guy? Michigan State had five minutes ago the second highest paid coach in the country during that Mel Tucker extension when it first came out. They made their coach the second highest paid guy in the whole country behind Nick Saban. And he was within, what, half a mil of Saban? It's not like there was much distance there. Now, you can argue it was a dumb contract. I think that's certainly been the case with the age. But don't tell me the commitment's not there. Don't tell me the want's not there. They'll spend. Urban Meyer likes money and control. There's a lot of important people at Michigan State that'll give them both with a smile on their face. Have fun. Knock yourself out. We'll see you in the college football playoff. Urban Meyer wins. College Urban Meyer is four for four with four knockouts in his stops. Four jobs, four different conferences, three different areas of the country. The guy's an ace in all of them. He's perfect. There's not a single school that has a modicum of regret of his time there. I think they should get him. I don't know what's going to happen. It's a fascinating, no matter what, even if you're just like a Michigan fan or you don't care about any of this stuff, like you're not vested in Michigan State's future. It is a fascinating sort of human power dynamic because there seems to be a disagreement there. Not an impasse, not a complete, you know, dead on arrival topic. There's a difference of opinion, it, it certainly seems like. And Fratto's heard the same thing I did. Seems like Couch is hearing the same things I have. Who makes the call? You know where I stand. It's obvious. You, it's insane that this guy's even available. It's a, it's a perfect storm that this guy's out there. And if you hire Urban Meyer and you hire the first or second best coach in the history of football and you're the first place out of five, it doesn't work out, I'll, I'll take my chances. I'll take my chances. If, if, if I hire the second best coach in the history of this sport with a, a valid argument for number one, and we're the one place that didn't work out for him in the college ranks, fine. Fine. That's an acceptable whiff if, there's ever one, if there ever was one. I don't think that would happen because I don't think the guy knows how to fail in college. But if it did, I'll go down with that shit. Huff? Elko? Um, they might be great. What's the better bet? The virtual total wild cards? Or the guy that's never known failure at this level? Give me Urban Meyer. That's where I stand. We'll keep you posted. I agree with Bernie. It doesn't sound like we're going to know about this until end of November, early December. That's been the consistent reporting. That's what I'm hearing. That's what Bernie has heard. I don't think we're anywhere near the end of this. And it's not going to stop until an announcement is made because there are important people that want this done. And the Michigan State fan base has a lot of backers as well. And don't think that stuff doesn't matter. People, people read what you're saying. And they've seen the flags and they've seen the graphics and those conversations have happened. So that matters. I think this, I think this Michigan State fan base most of the student body is ready for this. Let's go win. Go get the guy. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It, it's crazy that this is a real possibility, but it is. Make it happen. 
raise the flag. Spiro Avenue. Next time we'll see you. Bye-bye.